Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. The 12 guys got to watch everything Jesus did while he was here on earth. Uh, Saw Jesus do all kinds of miracles, heal people, raise the dead, walk on water, cast out demons, all kinds of bizarre and amazing things. Never once did the disciples say, Lord, teach us to do miracles. Uh, Then they heard Jesus preach and teach. He's the greatest teacher in history greatest preacher on the planet, these great masterpiece messages uh, that, I mean, thousands of people came to listen to, and they've been studied for 2,000 years. Never once did the disciples say, Lord, teach us to preach. Luke 11.1, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Why? Because watching the master they knew that all the power behind his miracles and his teaching and his preaching came through his connection with God, came through prayer. Jesus prayed constantly. He talked to God the Father in the mornings, uh, in the afternoons, the evenings, uh, in secret, in front of other people, in all kinds of different ways. Prayer is the power behind everything else that he did. His connection with God is the power behind everything else that he did. That's why we're taking 40 days and focusing on how to have a powerful prayer life. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to begin a 40-day spiritual growth campaign where we'll align our church services, our small groups, our daily time with God around one theme, focus on that as a church family, as individual families, uh, for 40 days. The Bible is clear, I've told you this last couple of weeks, that God considers 40 days a spiritually significant time period. Noah, Moses, David, Elijah, Jesus, the disciples, many others had 40-day time periods, experiences that led to breakthroughs. And what we've learned is that these breakthrough experiences with God don't happen on accident. They happen when you seek them. And the way you seek them is through prayer. Uh, I put on your notes this weekend just some of the important dates of this campaign. I'm trying to make it as clear as possible here uh, that September 13th through 19th, uh, that's week one of the small group semester. So whatever day of the week your small group meets, you'll get together that, that week. The weekend of September 19th and 20th, that'll be the week one of the 40 Days of Prayer sermon series. You're not going to want to miss that that weekend. September 20th through the 26th, that following week, you'll do the first session Uh, of the small group curriculum in your small group, the first session number one in the book. Then regardless of what day of the week your small group meets, everybody's day one for the the personal uh, prayer journals is the same day. It's uh, September 21st, that's a Monday. Uh, So we'll all be on the 40 days all together, all track, and regardless of what day you come to church or what day you have small group. Make sense, everybody? Say sure. Or just keep coming back and we'll lead you through it step by step. And a lot of you are like, yep, that's me. So another thing that's happening in the midst of all this is beginning September 19th and 20th, 
we're going to go from three worship services on Sunday mornings to two worship services on Sunday morning. Uh, the service times will be 9.30 and 11. What's up with that? It's just with many people still refraining from gathering, many people refraining from serving uh, in this time. They're not lost. They're not gone. They're just not, they're not joining us uh, right now in this season. It has a simply stretched thin on Sundays. So for the Dream Team, for Rockbrook for Kids, uh, even in attendance, we could do what we're doing in two services for right now. Uh, so if you come on Saturday, no changes to Saturday. If you come on Sunday, everybody's service time is changing on, on Sundays. And uh, you can come at 9.30 or 11. Uh, if you're watching online, we're going to stream live the 9.30 service. We chose to do the earlier one because it archives right when it's done. And if you uh, want to watch at 10.30, you could pull it up right as soon as it's done and watch at 10.30 anytime that day or it's on there. Uh, all throughout the week and everything, so you could watch then. But we'll start streaming at 9.30. Again, this isn't a cu for a couple weeks, September 19th and 20th. Don't come at 9.30 next week and miss part of, part of the thing. Or you would be early, actually. So anyway, I need to get out. This is getting crazy. But, um, uh, also, the online audience is growing and is strong. Uh, people are staying connected. We're thankful for that. Um, I mean, good grief. People are telling us they're giving their life to Christ and taking next steps and everything else. So that's wonderful. 1015, would you just welcome those watching online? And hey, everybody. Yep. We love, love, love our church family, uh, wherever you are, however you can connect in these days. A lot of momentum going into these 40 days of prayer. We're breaking some small group records. Good things are happening. And uh, we'll reevaluate the Sunday service strategy at the new year. Uh, we'll, we'll do this till the end of the year, and then we'll see what our strategy needs to be after that. You know, prayer is such a giant subject. Where do you start? Uh, put the word prayer into Amazon. There's over 136,000 books on the topic. Uh, search it on the internet. It's just hundreds of millions of articles and videos, books, everything. We are hardwired to pray. There is just something in us that everybody our creator designed us in such a way where prayer seems natural. Everybody in the world prays. Everybody does. Buddhists pray, Hindus pray, Muslims pray, Jews pray, Christians pray, secular people pray. Even an atheist prays at some point in their life, most often when they get hurt. I remember a guy who served in uh, the Vietnam War telling me that when he went off to war, the people he was with were making fun of his faith. And months later, they were all lying in a medical tent. Every single one of them was crying out to God. I can't imagine that. God bless them. But we all come to a point in our life at some point or another where we pray. Everybody prays in every culture. Now, who they pray to, what they pray to, that differs. As Christians, we pray to the one true God. But what I'm saying is there's an internal desire in human beings to pray. In fact, it's what makes you human. Animals don't pray. But we're made in the image of God, and that means we have this ability to connect with God. Um, but while everybody prays, what we've also learned is we're not very good at it, and we know it. In fact, everybody I talk to feels inadequate about prayer. Uh, the, I've never met anybody who thought they were outstanding at prayer. Uh, everybody knows that they could be better, and this is very common. The greatest Christian who ever lived next to Jesus himself, the Apostle Paul, uh, he once said, 
we don't even know what we should pray for nor how we should pray. Even the disciples, the 12 guys that Jesus handpicked to follow him for his entire ministry saw Jesus pray, teach us how to do that. And if Paul said that, the disciples did that, it's okay for us to admit that we need to focus on this for a little bit and get better at it. We need to know how to, how to talk to God like they grew and learned how to do it. So as I've talked with people over the last couple months, these are a lot of the frustrations and misconceptions uh, that I hear coming up, our frustrations with prayer. Uh, we feel ashamed. We feel ashamed. People say, it's hard to have a relationship with God when I don't feel like like he, he loves me or loves what I did or there's this barrier between us. There's this thing that I, that I did or who I am and, and I'm ashamed of that when I come before God. It's hard to have a relationship with God when we feel obligated. Like I have to do this and God doesn't like me if I do not do this. It's also difficult to have a relationship with God when we don't know what to say. And we'll think, well, everybody seems to know what to say. How do they know what to say? Everybody else seems to do it so well. I remember one time being in a prayer circle as a young person, and uh, the idea in this prayer circle was that you would hold hands, and the leader would say, okay, you pray, and then when you're done, you squeeze the next person's hand, um, and that will let them know that it's their turn, and we'll just do that all the way around the circle. And it was the worst when you're near the end of the prayer circle, because you're not even listening to what they're praying. You're thinking about what you're going to pray, right? And what's, but then you check in and it's, hold up, dude, you're praying my stuff. Like I was going to say, I was going to say that and everyone steals your stuff. And it's like, well, I can't copy off of them. So squeeze, 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 just squeeze it on down. Just send it out, just pass, send it on to them. They said everything I had to say and it goes to them. And we, we get in situations like, I don't know what, what to pray. Well, so we don't think, He's listening. It's hard to have a relationship with God when we think, is he, well, is he, is he even there? It's hard to have a relationship with him when we don't want to bother him. I hear this one a lot where people say, well, yeah, I've got things in my life and they're big to me, but then I think of my friend who's got a terminal illness or uh, people being persecuted for their faith or you know, we, we start thinking of all these reasons why we don't need to pray to God because other people have bigger issues and we think, well, I don't want to bother him with my stuff and that, that it just seems wrong or feels wrong. It's hard to have a relationship with him when, when we don't trust him, that we're afraid. It's like as much as we'd love to have a vibrant relationship with God, we're also afraid of it. And we hold, it, hold him at arm's length because we fear that he's going to ask us to give up something we don't want to give up or do something that we don't really want to do. And so um, it holds us back. It creates a barrier when we, don't, when we don't trust him. It's also frustrating or difficult to have a relationship with, with him when we don't get an answer and we feel like God's not answering. Anyone else resonate with any of these or at one point in your life feel like that's, when you approach prayer, that's what it feels like? Well, our frustrations with prayer are caused by our misconceptions about prayer. There are a lot of lies, myths, misunderstandings, legends that the church has believed about prayer that are simply not true, and it leaves us feeling bad. And then we're driven by feeling bad instead of being drawn by grace to God. So let's look at some misconceptions that maybe we've been building our prayer life on that are simply flat out wrong, 
And maybe you were taught them as a kid or watched them on TV or picked them up along the way. Uh, But the first misconception, if you're taking notes, is this. Prayer is not a magic wand. It's not the little wand that Harry Potter has that if you do the right thing, your circumstances change. God is not our servant. We are God's servant. Prayer is not some secret word, some secret incantation or chant or spell that if you know the right words and say those special words, then you get your own way all the time. It's not like you look at your spouse and say like some special abracadabra and they're, they're a great husband, they're a great wife. It doesn't work. Hocus pocus, I get what I need. By the way, do you know where the term hocus pocus came from? It's actually a perversion of the Latin in Catholic Mass where the priest holds up the bread and says, hoc est corpus meum. And some joker in the back row must have heard, it, heard hocus pocus, what's he saying up there? This is Jesus. And then it's, it's a perversion of, of something in the, in the church. And prayer is not some ritual words that you say and all of a sudden um, things change mysteriously or magically if you can just say things in the right order at the right time of day by doing the right things by God. Prayer is also not a fire extinguisher. Uh, This is like prayers hanging on the wall and break glass in case of emergency. A lot of people treat prayer like that. We don't pray on the good days. The only time we pray is when there's a tornado, when something's blowing up in our life. But we can pray on the humdrum days. We treat God like our relationship with God is like he's a mechanic. Like I, I love my mechanic. But I never call him just to see how he's doing. And I, I only go to see him when I've got a problem or it's like scheduled maintenance. And in fact, our relationship is such where I think he likes me, but he makes fun of me a lot. And uh, we just have this kind of weird relationship where it's like, man, I don't really relate to anyone else like this, but a lot of people treat God like that. Like I go to you when I've got a problem I won't call you in between, but there's this scheduled maintenance, like I'll pray before meals and stuff, and, uh, but you probably don't, I'm like, I think you like me, but do you like me, and are you making fun of me, and, and it's a mechanic relationship, but we have a motto around Rockbrook that says, pray first, we've got these risks, pray first, that before you, before you do the thing, before you go into work, before you accept that date, before you eat the food, pray, it's a first choice, not a last resort, in every area of your life. It's not a fire extinguisher. Third misconception is prayer is not a tug of war. A lot of people think that God doesn't really want to answer your prayers. He doesn't even want to listen and that you kind of have to wear God down until he finally gives in. And so you keep badgering and pestering him and praying, God, please, and and he finally gives in and does what you want him to do. It's like a tug of war. The Bible does not teach that. God wants your prayers, but in this tug-of-war idea, you bribe, you bargain, you beg, God, please, 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 like if I say this 92 times, then maybe he'll change his will. Maybe he'll say yes, and it's this tug-of-war mentality, or we'll bargain with God. God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you, and you will be a lucky God. Yes, you will. Absolutely. How fortunate will you be if I do this thing for you? No, you don't bribe them with some kind of sales pitch. 
where you keep pestering until he finally gives in. The fourth misconception about prayer is prayer is not a ritual to relieve guilt. And some of you grew up with this where you were taught if you sin and it's a big sin, you have to go say a certain number of prayers. God never teaches that. Jesus never teaches that. The Bible never teaches that. It's not in the Bible. Prayer is not a punishment for your sin. Prayer is not penance for your sin. Prayer is a privilege, not a duty. Uh, it's not something where you pay God back because you did something wrong. That puts prayer in a whole wrong light. It's not a, rich, it's not a ritual to relieve guilt. In fact, Jesus taught the exact opposite. He said, when you pray, do not use meaningless repetition. Like when, when you say the same thing over and over and over again. It's also a myth that these prayers should be made to anyone but God. Like we, we don't pray to the saints. We don't pray to Mary. There's one mediator between God and mankind, and that's Jesus. And nothing needs to get in the way of that relationship that we can have with Christ himself. And we don't need to go through Mary or have her pray for us. She was a great example of a humble servant. We honor her, great example of faith. But we don't have to go through her to get to Jesus. Jesus is always right there. He says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. If you're not going to believe Jesus, who are you going to believe? And he says, when you pray, uh, you don't have to say something over and over and over again. You don't have to use someone else's faith to get to me. He says, just pray, pray to me. Now, that's a lot of our frustrations, misconceptions. Let's start talking about um, what it is, and now we can start. We don't need to wait till September 21st to start having a vibrant prayer life. Uh, David is having this dialogue with God, Psalm 27. He even expresses some of this frustration that he has. Hear, hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you, seek his face. He's saying there's something inside of me that's drawn to do this, that's pulling me to pray to you, to have a relationship with you. Your face, Lord, I will seek. And God is saying, come and talk with me, that we'd have a relationship with him, not only driven by need or crisis, but that we would seek him, that we'd seek a breakthrough. How do we have a breakthrough relationship with God? We'll talk more about it in this series, but let me just give you four steps or four tips today and one is I would encourage you to start with worship begin with worship this was Jesus response when they asked how to pray he said uh, like not these words he's giving an outline for them to pray things for them to pr directions say our father in heaven hallowed be your name and this word hallowed to hallow something, we don't use that very much anymore, but that's to elevate it. That's to lift it up, to adore it. That when we worship God, an inversion happens. Because we come into worship, we come into prayer with our problems being the forefront thing in our mind and the biggest thing going on. And so we have these big problems, but then our God is small. But as we hallow him, as we worship him, an inversion happens to where God is put in his rightful place, and now God is big, and my problems are small. And, and we're in a place where, yes, there's still disappointments, confusions, problems, but those are smaller, and my God is big. Worship puts God in a rightful place. It also puts me in my rightful place. 
And there's a difference in attitude and atmosphere when we worship. John 4.23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks, that He's looking for those who worship Him. If you're looking for God, worship Him, He'll find you. Make sure you start in the right place. Worship establishes where I am and where he is in this relationship. Then after we worship, fully surrender. And there are times when this is extremely difficult to do, to give up that control, to give up that thing. I mean, it's we pick up our own cross and we surrender our lives to God. And again, the reason we fear doing this is because we think it's going to be miserable. It's going to be miserable. And that God's will for my life is, yeah, I guess it's good for God, but it's going to be horrible for me. But let me tell you this about God's will. God's perfect will is exactly what you would choose on your own if you could see the future, if you could see the end result. And if you had it laid in front of you, the end result of choosing my way or choosing God's way, you would pick God's way every time. The problem is you can't see the future and you don't see the end result. So what you do is you surrender to God. You choose God's way on faith. You choose it on faith. You surrender to him on faith that this is going to lead to a place that, yes, it may be tough. Yes, it may be hard. Yes, there may be tough moments. But in the end, it's way better than choosing my own way. And we choose his way on faith. Not I will, but God, your will. Jesus did this time after time. Jesus, before he goes to the cross, he sees the misery that's ahead. But because knowing what's going to come on the other side of that, this is what it says. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, how is he able to do this in an extremely tough moment? Because this is what he'd been doing all along. In fact, in the Lord's Prayer, he teaches... Pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That you fully surrender every day. He'd been practicing surrender all the time. Not with a cross, but through the other trials and things that he was facing in his life. In the heat of the moment. Have you noticed in the heat of the moment, we default to what we've done in the past? That's why it'll look like you're having some growth or some time will separate from something, but then the heat turns on again and in a crisis moment, we fall back to what we've done before. We fall back to what we've been practicing for in those situations. And if we're in a relationship with God where surrendering to Him is a daily choice, when the fire is on in the crisis moment, that's what we'll do. Jesus did it again on the cross. On the cross, he could have called in angels, used his power. No, he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He surrendered to God again, time and time again. That's a connection with God in a way. Surrender establishes our willingness to obey. Surrender establishes what we will do when the fire is on in our life. Third tip, third thing is pray with confidence. 
that we, we feel insecure, we feel ashamed, we feel insignificant. Uh, this doesn't, this, when I say pray with confidence, this doesn't mean that you always have to be bold, always have to be loud, always have to be praying world-changing prayers. It means that you come with all of who you are. If you're feeling insignificant, if you're f- feeling insecure, come to him with those feelings, with those emotions. Bring it all there. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace, say this with me, with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. If you're feeling bad, if you're feeling insignificant, if you're feeling insecure, if you're feeling ashamed, where else are you going to go? Are you going to go to yourself? Are you going to go to some other thing? Are you going to go to some other God? God says, no, come to me, because when you come to me, you'll receive mercy and you'll find grace. Don't go somewhere else. But we tend to think, no, I'm a worm. I've got nothing. And we stay away from God. And God says, no, you're a child of the Most High God come to me. James 5, 16. Read this out loud with me, please. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. How do we do that? How do we pray with confidence? Here's just a couple of just really practical, helpful tips that I've found in praying with confidence. For me, transforming thing in my prayer life is when I started, even on my own, praying out loud to God praying out loud. And if it's a situation where that really wasn't appropriate, to write it down. That something powerful happens when I articulate it through my mouth or through a pen, and it becomes uh, very much more real. The other thing I found is that in my prayer life, I was doing all this stuff I would never otherwise do. I was doing things I would never do in a conversation. Like, Like, when I get into a deep conversation on the phone, you know what I do? I start pacing and walking around anybody else don't look at me like I'm crazy you get up and you you walk around you do something you you start it so I found that man I'm I'm sitting down to have this conversation or kneeling and I'm thinking I'm gonna have this all in my mind but who else would you ever do that would you ever just look at someone and be like let's just have this conversation in our mind right now we're not gonna say anything we're just gonna sit here stare at one another Kyle's just like staring right back at me cold. It's funny. <laughs> and so I was like, man, uh, why don't I do with God what I would do and bring, can, just confidently come to him and pray out loud to him and be myself. And is there times for kneeling? Is there times for silence? Yes. But God wants us and we don't have to do things that are constantly distracting us. Another practical thing that's helpful to me as many people think, well, I try to pray, but all this stuff comes into my mind, and it's distracting, and it's like I can't focus on what I'm trying to pray about. But what if the distractions are the point? What if the things that are coming into your mind, that those are the things God wants to hear about, what if those are the things you could pray to him about? That they're not distractions, but they are actually the thing that you can bring and surrender before God. In fact, this is the fourth point, is make it personal, not formal. 
you don't have to speak in a prayer voice. Like, there are times for that. There's times for reverence and order. But God most often just wants you, the way he created you, the way that you are, come as you are. Matthew 6, 7 through 8 says, And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Well, (laughs) if he knows what I need, then why do I have to pray? If he knows what I need, why do I have to ask him? It's because you could have all of your needs met. Every financial need met, handle finances perfectly. It's all wonderful. You could have every health need met and be perfectly healthy in every way. You could have all of your marriage needs met, have a wonderful, vibrant marriage. You could have all your relational needs met, have great friendships, no conflict, no problems. You could have an amazing job that fulfills uh, everything that you want, all the benefits, the pay, everything you desire to do in a job. You could be an amazing parent, have all your parenting needs met, have a wonderful relationship with your kids, and be the best parent you know. All those needs met still doesn't meet your number one need because your number one need is God himself. You get no financial problems, no marriage problems, no life problems, I'm sorry, it still doesn't meet your number one need. Your number one need is salvation through Jesus Christ and getting to know God. And so God says, come to me. Yeah, I know your needs. Come to me though. Because you need God. You need God. Why are we doing 40 days of prayer? Because there is nothing more important in your life than your life getting in harmony with God's life. And having a relationship that you were created for, that you were designed for, a close fellowship with God, that just as common as it is to get in your car and to brush your teeth and to go to work and have a phone call and do the things that God would be part of your everyday life and that you would know him. Friends, what we're talking about, there's nothing more important in your life than having a fellowship and friendship and relationship with God. A lot of people know about God. And a lot of people are really good at solving problems in their life. But this is about getting to know God. He wants you to feel his love. He wants you to be able to be led by him. He wants you to know him. That's why we're doing 40 days of prayer. And I would encourage you not to miss anything in this season. Get connected with a few others in a small group. Don't miss a weekend service. Don't miss a daily devotional. Do all the stuff that's, been, that's already been prepared. Don't just walk away casually and say, yeah, that's nice to know. Yeah, those are some good tips. Yeah, that'll be helpful. James 4.8 says, draw close to God, and God will draw close to you. Now, in the days ahead, we're going to learn how to do that. The entire purpose of the next 40 days is to deepen our friendship with God. You need to know him better. You need to... You need to know him closer. He's waiting. He's longing for it. And it's ultimately what you need more than anything else. Let's pray together. Father, you are powerful. Uh, You're awesome. 
God, there is no one like you. And no preacher or author or songwriter could accurately portray all of who you are. And we recognize that you're calling us into something deeper with you. And we surrender to it. As much as we know how, we surrender to it. God, uh, we don't want to hold you at arm's length. We don't want to fear what you have for us. And God, we, we believe logically that your path would lead to a great result for us in our life. But we can't see it all. And so we choose it today on faith. We surrender to it on faith. We believe that you are good. We believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And he lived a perfect life. He was without sin. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin. He bought us back. He redeemed us. He rose from the dead so that we could be risen because you so love us. And God, we surrender to that today. We choose you. We choose you on faith. We believe. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.